0: Testament reading, Psalm 121, 1 through 8. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from evil, all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore.
1: We turn now our attention to the New Testament. The New Testament reading is taken from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. Hear God's word for us. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was. And who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. We lift our eyes into the hills from where does our help come. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm thinking you probably have heard me as well as other ministers utter those words at various times during a worship service. These are the opening words of Psalm 121, which was shared with us a moment ago, and it is a psalm of praise. Our help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Yet more than praise... The psalm is a statement of faith. Because you see, when the Hebrew people settled into the promised land, the land that God had set apart for his people to live, they were constantly being tempted to worship the gods of those people who lived in that land. And that's why the first commandment that God gave in the Ten Commandments was the most crucial you know, years before they even approached the, the fringes of the promised land, God had spoken to them about what their mindset needed to be. It was revealed to them through the commandments that God gave to Moses. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods before me. And yet, when the people of God settled in the land that God had promised to them, all they could see was, was, was the worshiping of other gods. In the villages and in the town squares, there were shrines and temples set up to many and various deities that they worshiped. The one that seemed to get the most attention was the fertility god known as Baal. Baal was the god who was believed to make a farmer productive. One worshipped Baal in order to get a good yield of crops and have a healthy offspring of cattle. And so you offered a burnt sacrifice to Baal so he would look with favor upon you. And so the Baal worshippers, they set up altars on which they made their sacrifices, not down in the valleys, but rather in the high places. Because it was believed, the higher you were, uh, the closer you came to this fertility god named Baal, that's where the rays of the sun came from, that's where the rains came down onto their fields. The higher the hill... To place the altars of sacrifice, it was thought, the more likely you were to get Baal's attention. So when the psalmist says, I lift my eyes unto the hills, all he could see all over those hills were these altars where they were making their burnt sacrifices to this pagan god, Baal. Where does my help come from? Not up there. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. My help comes from the one who created those hills and everything I see about me. My help is in the name of the one who created me in his image and delivered me and our forebearers out of the house of bondage. That is the God that I worship, says the psalmist. So this day, on the liturgical calendar, it's called Christ the King Sunday. And it's on this Sunday, the week before the beginning of the season of Advent, that we proclaim in our worship that Christ is King. He is the King of Kings. And just as the Old Testament God, Yahweh, was the Sovereign, who watched over God's covenant people, Christ, the Son of God, who became flesh and lived among us, was God's extension of that same sovereignty. Christ is, as the book of Revelation says, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We declare on this day that Jesus is the only one qualified to wear this crown. The book of Revelation, this last book of the Bible, written by a man named John who lived on an island called Patmos where he received this vision from God that he was to write down and then send to the seven churches of Asia. And his opening greeting in this book of Revelation is this. Grace to you. And peace from who is and who was and who is to come, and is the ruler of the kings of the earth. It is on such a day as this, then, that it is appropriate for us to ask ourselves, you know, the same question the psalmist asked where do we get our help? Because, you know, you can tell a lot about a person from where they seek. Their help. You can tell what's important to a person by what powers he or she gives allegiance to. And just like the psalmist looked to the hills and was tempted by the, the shrines set up there for the other gods, we are tempted to be drawn to the powers that are around us. You know, as we see our world in so much conflict and so much strife and military violence. It could be that we seek our military as our ultimate help. And as somebody who has served in the military, I have great appreciation for what the military does, and it does have a very uh, specific purpose. But sometimes when you consider just how much we have invested in our military services, it's kind of a reflection of what our priorities are. Can the military be our ultimate source of help or we might ask is our help in the name of government as a democracy we elect our officials to office we give them power to make public policy to legislate laws it is a system set up for you know for the people by the people but what kind of power do elected officials really have There was a former governor from North Carolina. He actually, after his time was servant, he served. He actually had the honesty to say how difficult it was to exert any authority in the office that he held. The first and foremost difficult thing I had to learn was that I wasn't in control, nearly in the way I thought I would be. I was sitting in this seat of power, but felt essentially powerless, a victim of many forces beyond my control. I think when we see just how broken and dysfunctional our government operates, it causes us to shrink from it as our source of help. Or is our help in the name of this nebulous thing called the economy? You know, talk shows and news stations... You know, they're packed full of discussions about it. News media, they give us all kinds of statistics which are supposed to measure the pulse of this thing called the economy, but it's actually a rather slippery thing to get a hold of. The economy, you know, dictates the lives of millions of people. It has thrown people out of work and put people in extreme situations. And if you ask an elected official why that is, the answer is... Something about this nebulous force called an economy. Is this where our help comes from? I think we have to face it, that it's not easy to claim Christ as your ultimate help and as your king when so many other things are competing for your attention. I'm thinking that one of the reasons that John the writer of Revelation, you know, he opens that uh, that book in such a way, begins his writing with the proclamation that Christ is king of kings. He does this precisely because he knows his readers need to be reminded of this over and over. We all need to be reminded who our true sovereign is. we don't easily lean on Christ as our help because of all these other influences competing for that. Now, I read a, in a Time magazine a couple years ago a response to the magazine's premier article that it pre, uh, was there appeared the week before. It was about religion and spirituality and the article asked what it is that makes people spiritual or religious. And there was a backlash to this article in Time magazine. One of the responders wrote this. It's very sad that people in this day an age of scientific discovery still cling to old superstitions. If we could accept that this is the only life we have and stop yearning for this non-existent afterlife, the world would be a better place. I think that speaks volumes about the age in which we live. But it is in such an age that we must proclaim all the more that Christ is. Our King, now more than ever, is when we as Christ's followers must stand up and say, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, people. You know, they're not going to be perceived the kingship of Christ because of the way the events of the world are unfolding around us. It's not as though you can, you know, see the kinds of terrible things which abound around the globe that tell us, hey, Christ is here. The way they perceive the kingship of Christ is, though, is through the people who give their allegiance to Jesus. You know, people in the ancient world, they were drawn to these followers of Jesus because they proclaimed Jesus as Lord, regardless of the kind of persecution that they had to suffer. It wasn't because of, you know, what they believed with their minds, but by what was alive in their hearts, and that was their hope, their ultimate hope in Christ people who lived Christ as king despite the earthly powers that were stacked against them. As Christ's followers, we live in a different realm where a different king rules. And so when we lift our eyes and we see those powers abounding about us that want to claim us, he is the king that we worship. But there is that part of us that pushes back, this idea that Jesus is, is king I touched on the idea that you know, we're, we, we live in a democracy where you know, we have certain freedoms, unalienable rights, freedom to uh, speech, and freedom of, of, of worship. We elect our government officials, and they are the ones who are accountable to us. And if they don't meet our expectations, then, well, we can vote them out of office. But that mindset does not work in the kingdom of God. The kingdom which Jesus proclaimed is the one where he is the king, the sovereign. Jesus doesn't need our vote to be our sovereign. He is not accountable to us like a government official is to the people. We don't set the conditions for Christ's kingship. He does. He doesn't need our permission to be our sovereign. He already is. And the question we have to ask ourselves as the disciples of Jesus, are we willing uh, to live our lives in such a way to acknowledge Christ's lordship? Are we willing to embrace the King of Kings? acknowledge the lordship of Jesus is to proclaim that what we pray pray every week in church in the lord's prayer thy will be done to refuse the lordship of Christ is to say my will be done an old philosopher and a theologian his name was Saint Augustine he said this if we do not have Christ as our king we will be stuck with ourselves as tyrants. All our Lord has to do is leave us to our own devices and we'll bring sufficient punishment upon ourselves with the destructive choices that we make. Our Lord, our King of Kings, does not have to inflict punishment. All he has to do is let us go. But thank God this one true King, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, the sovereign of the universe. He came not to beat us down into submission to his will. He freely offered himself up as the sacrifice for our forgiveness. You know, the one who wears the crown of king of kings also wears this crown. Which is to say, you know, a sovereign is somebody who is free to do as he or she as a sovereign wants to do. Not accountable to anyone else. Doesn't have to answer to anyone else. But this sovereign chose to pour out his life and his mercy upon us. This sovereign says, yes, I can be your refuge and your strength. A very present help in time of trouble in a way that nothing or no one else can. So, from whence does our help come? Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen and amen.